up and welcome to Difficulty Class, a podcast about all things Dungeons and Dragons. I'm one of your hosts, Allie Deitchman, and with me this week is... Trevor Bettis. That's right, and this week we'll be talking about role-playing and how we prep, as well as answering some listener questions at the end. Trevor, how are your games this week? Oh, boy. Yeah, tell me about it. <laughs> hey, remember that... Uh, well, okay, so I, I guess I got to put spoilers on this one again. So if you do not want spoilers for Storm King's Thunder or Tomb of, or not, Tomb of Annihilation... Yep skip ahead like two three minutes because you somehow managed both <laughs> yep yep if you want more about that maybe we'll make a youtube video about some point <gasps> who knows <sighs> um so last we left off there was a ancient red dragon staring down at my wife's character and a bunch of other characters and then the other the rest of the party were in dream world with dendar so my wife knocked rosnisi out of the trance everyone else reappeared in the Fane of the Night Serpent, exactly where they were, so Arthas oh. and the and disguised wife wasn't next to each other anymore. I had it so that, <clears throat> because, you know, again, Ancient Red Dragon is there, uh, I actually had it that the trickster gods came and helped. So, and I actually had this set up. This wasn't a real Deus Ex Machina because um, Olin, uh, who's uh, St. James's old character was there. He was uh, possessed by Wongo almost through the entire I remember that, uh, campaign yeah. of Tomb of the Night, Tomb of Annihilation. So when he saw that Olin was there and in trouble, he jumped in, and then uh, some of the other gods followed up and jumped into these new characters. Mm. Um, so they got out of there before the Red Dragon could, you know, roast them, <laughs> and met up with the rest of the group. Um, and the Yuanti that were there ran the fuck away because they're like, Ancient Red Dragon, we're not dealing with this, bye. Um, yeah. So now we have the uh, new party, some of the old party, Arc December, Arc December's son, and Rosnisi all in the same place. <laughs> <laughs> and they decide to... And So I was expecting my players to just go out the front door. Go back the way they came. Try to run out of the city. You know, get you know, do this cool little like dramatic run through the city as this ancient red dragon's flying over them. No, they decide. Well, there's a secret passageway back through that room where Clouth is breathing down. What? Um, we'll just go through there. What? <laughs> and they go. Well, what about the dragon? Ah, oh, that's a good point. Um, oh, Arctis, you can, like, ice things and create things, right? And he's like, yeah. He's like, they're like, cool. Ice the floor and make a bobsled. <laughs> oh, my God. That is so... That is so Golden Palace. <laughs> so they fucking bobsled their way <laughs> through this uh, this tunnel and through the, the, the throne room that Clouth is looking down into and just shoot through. Because I had them all make athletics checks to, like, push it. And they all rolled, like, 20s. <laughs> this is going to be a reoccurring thing through this one. By the way, I might have gone over my limit already on time. But in you. So they shoot through there, get through the secret passage, come out, get to the airship. Had this kind of really cool moment that Clouth's destroying the thing of the Night Serpent. And Rosnisi just kind of stares at it for a moment and, like, his shoulders sink. Aww. They've also told him now that if he dies, Mesro comes back. <laughs> and he's just like, oh, God, because he's already in this depressed state from oh, earlier. No. And so they get on the airship, start taking off, and none of them think, oh, uh, the Ring of Winter's on here now. <laughs> Clouth does. He just... <laughs> 
turns and looks and starts flying, like takes off into the air and starts going after him. And so they come up with this plan. Uthal, the rogue Goliath, uh-huh. who's currently being possessed by uh, one of the trickster gods that, and I, I had them roll for this. This was not picked by me. He rolled that he got a god to let him turn invisible. <laughs> so he takes the orb of Tiamat, uh-huh. turns invisible, mm-hmm. v- v- invisible, has Cinder Sylvain cast fly on him, and he flies straight at Cloud, <laughs> invisible, with the orb of Tiamat. Um, what an epic moment! <laughs> so I'm gonna I'm gonna uh, fully admit to something right here. I fucked up during this. Mm-hmm. I forgot to have him roll for Clout's fear presence. That happens to me all the time. Which would have totally fucked this up. So what I and, and I realized this after the game, and so I took out my phone and I texted St. James. I go roll a <laughs> roll a, a wisdom saving throw. <laughs> uh, he ended up passing it, so I went all right. That's what happened. <laughs> okay. Um, I don't know what I would have done if he had. I probably just would have been like, ah, oh, fuck it. I screwed that up. But anywho, so he flies over there, grabs onto Clout's ear, puts the orb in his ear, and slowly whispers the command word for the orb, which I fucked up and didn't come up with. So it just became, <laughs> Fusroda. <laughs> you do what you got. Yeah. <laughs> and Clout got sucked into the orb. Oh my god. Yeah. Um so they they beat an ancient red dragon without combat. Uh-huh. He got back there. Rosnisi decides that he he's ruined how he was going to go back to his people. Yep. He has fucked up in every way. He's cursed this land. He's his live his him being alive is keeping people, you know, from being on this plane. So he decides to tell Arctis to kill him. And I had a really sweet moment where Rosnisi looked out over Cholt and Arctis took his head off. Wow. And it was actually really good. It was really nice. I'm like, that's not how I expected the storyline to go. Wow. Um, They go to Mesro. Um, Oh, yeah. By the way, uh, Uthal also couldn't lie, but he was also disguised as Arctis's wife. (laughs) So that was really fun. They get there. Arctis's wife is really there and all that stuff. And they're celebrating, having this great moment. I actually have to look up what Mesro is because I just kind of like didn't describe it that much. Um, uh, Long story short, uh, too late. uh, (laughs) Uthal is woken up in the middle of the night by Valindra. Oh, God. What the shit? And that's where we stopped. (laughs) How are your games this week? <laughs> well, nothing as, I guess, crazy as that. <laughs> that's so, that's so, there's so many elements to that where it's like sweet and epic and heartbreaking and just so many. Oh, so oh, many I should probably mention the reason why Arctis was with them. Because remember, he's, he's demon Arctis. Yeah, yeah. Um, he... Because he, I hadn't, he hadn't had his role against the ring that day. Yeah. But because his wife was there, I gave him advantage on it. Oh. He, uh, he rolled. It didn't matter that I gave him the advantage. He rolled a fifteen and a crit. Oh my god. <laughs> so he crit saved out of the control of the ring. Oh my god. Yeah. That's so sweet. <laughs> I've taken up enough time with this. I totally went over it. I'm sorry if you heard any spoilers. I love you all. <laughs> Goodbye. Well, it's like it's not really crazy spoilers. It's like uh, particular spoilers, I guess. <laughs> Yeah. Well, my game this past Wednesday was interesting. So previously on, they were trying to find the big bad's encampment because mm-hmm. um, he's got really big bad plans for this nearby elf establishment. And uh, this ancient elf establishment, imagine like the concept of 
uh, Wakanda meets Atlantis, like before Atlantis went under under the sea, like Disney's Atlantis. I mm-hmm. guess to clarify. So there's like this huge ward around it that's kind of encompassing the entire place. And it serves multi-purpose. It's like um the characters know this too because they had someone on the inside so they were talking to them. Um that the ward serves as a way to keep people from knowing it's there and from scrying in there and doing anything possible <clears throat> to see that it's even existence, you know? It's like um but there's also like a secret that only like the council knows and that only I know <laughs> the characters will soon know um, of that whole place that is involved with that. Um, I'm going really spoiler light on this because I know a couple of my players are listening. <laughs> <laughs> oh God. Yeah. I know. So it's like, but so having that preface, <laughs> um, they, finally caught up with three elves i mentioned that last time and they were make they're now trekking their way through the forest and they're getting to the encampment because one of the three elves that they were had on there as allies had infiltrated the big bads encampment um they were playing along acting as spy essentially so she knew exactly where the encampment is she knows the numbers she knows who's where and so they go up there they take four days to walk through the forest and get there and they're finding like there's shit going on in this forest that shouldn't be here there's like a dead uh circle of tree blights i took the straight up stat block from curse of strahd nice and because they're level 14 they actually fought five of them oh my god this was their first fight by the way that was not a boss fight in like i want to say a year (laughs) good god that's not entirely my fault um (laughs) they decided to uh what's the word like just run through the end of Storm King's Thunder mm-hmm. back to back to back Scry to back to fry. back to back. Exactly. Yeah. And it worked. I yeah. mean, it totally worked. I didn't mind it at all. But they straight up went from the very end of Big Bad of Storm King's Thunder. And then they're like, okay, let's do the next thing. I'm like, oh, guys, you're level 14. I don't think you've grasped that yet. And so they finally went into like an appropriately leveled fight <laughs> for the first time. And two of them nearly went down. They're like, why was that really difficult? I'm like, guys, you're... come on. <laughs> So that was fun. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they're going through the, the trees. I had planned other things and random encounters in case they came upon them, like undead owl bears and stuff like that, because, well, the staff of Orcus is ha- hanging around around here, so might as well. They finally reach the encampment, and the encampment is totally empty of anyone alive. <clears throat> no one's left there that's moving around except for a shit ton of zombies, and I'm talking like 40 plus. <laughs> nice. And everyone's like oh gosh because i kind of alluded in the beginning like well one of the wizard elves was like all we can hope for is that the wand of orcus just wipes everyone out that he loses control of it and it literally takes the care of him for us and so they get to this encampment and no one's alive and so they have um a couple people on there who are invisible because that's what my party is and they go through and they're like we're not finding any of like the higher ups of this of the shadowed veil they're not finding lucian who's the big bad they're not finding diamond who is like a semi-lich big bad as well Mm -hmm. who's like the second command and they're like where is everybody and so they try to scry on them and they can't Mm. it just straight up won't and so now they're like we don't know what to do and so that's where i ended it Mm -hmm. and they understand that they're kind of piecing together that because they can't scry on him there's only a couple reasons why. And one is that he has Mordecai's private sanctum, which mm-hmm. 
is possible, but last they knew it wasn't in his wheelhouse. Or he's already made it into the ancient elf establishment. Ooh. So they're like, there's one of two options. And so we have to go there. And they have to somehow convince their way in there. Because that's like, oh, there's no one else except us elves allowed in here. Mm-hmm. And so <laughs> I'm like, really excited to see how they're going to do that. How I just pictured it in my head like the sign that says, elves only. <laughs> um, and then I... We had a really nice game on, I think, Friday. It was just so, it was so spur of the moment. Our friend came home and she's like, I really want to play D&D. And so we called up one of uh, Spencer's friends, uh, David, who he's all like, hey, you want to play with us? Just one level, mm-hmm. just level one, quick one shot thing. And I'm like, I'll pull out the essentials kit, play a little game from there. And so we did. And so they all made quick one level one characters. And um, God bless Spencer and, and David, because they managed to make two gnomes in a trench coat. <laughs> it was <laughs> it was the most hilarious that's thing. amazing <laughs> and i really actually want to figure out how to stat that out properly because yeah. it was so hilarious because they were role-playing it the whole entire time like spencer was the bottom and david was the top and they're all like and david was he was the one talking and all of a sudden you would see like a little burp part in the bottom half of the trench coat as he tries to look out mm-hmm. <laughs> He's like, oh, yeah, uh, the the one on top tells him, like, oh, go left. And then he goes left. And it's like, but then he gets opportunity attacks. He's like, I didn't say that way. And it's like, well, I can't see what you're pointing at. And it's great. I love it so much. It was it was a blast. I always encourage people to just do goofy things like that because that, that oh, show yeah. was fun. <laughs> that, those are the best moments to come out of D&D. Yeah. But uh, that was that was my games. <laughs> well, oh, those both sounded like interesting games that happened. <laughs> Um, let's move over into some broadsheets on this episode that's already going pretty long somehow. <laughs> um, so first off, Wizards has announced a limited edition 45th anniversary dice set with level up dice. Yep. And they're really pretty. They are. Um, so let, let, let's, let's go over this first. So they are the currently the normal D&D dice set where it's got 2D20s, 4D6, and all that fun stuff. Uh, the difference is uh, they're all metal. They all have the uh, D&D ampersand somewhere on them. And one of the D20s has a laboratory-grown sapphire set into the D20 slot, or the you know the 20 slot on the D20. Yeah. Um, and it's coming with a bunch of other things, you know, a, a holder and some artwork and stuff like that. But they're three hundred dollars. Yeah. Three hundred. I mean, like, okay, so on one hand, Wizards, it's like, okay, they're getting into the, what I call it, the the premium yeah, dice yeah. market. Yeah, And so that, that boot- is a thing. The boutique dice market. Yeah, that is a thing. Like, people, there is an actual market full of, like, dice that costs over $200. Mm-hmm. I mean, like, there's, I've even seen, like, elephant bone dice, which is kind of crazy. Oh, seen, Jesus. Yeah, it's like, there's a ton of dice. Maybe don't get those. Yeah. <laughs> You can't ship them to California, fun fact. Yeah, good, good, because that's fucked up. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And so it's, like, good on wizards to get into that niche, but it's, like, on the other hand... What about all us other poor folk? <laughs> yeah, the the thing is like, hey, uh, spoilers for you listener out there. Uh, we don't make bank off of this podcast. We don't make <laughs> off this podcast. <laughs> um, so like, you know, we we just have jobs. We have normal jobs, probably like you. And three hundred dollars for a dice set is a ridiculous amount of money. I'm not saying it shouldn't exist. I think that's great. Yeah. The thing that I'm disappointed about is that. 
yeah, this is celebrating the 45th anniversary of D&D. Mm-hmm. That is freaking crazy and awesome that yeah. it's been going this long and it's going this strong at the time that it is. So it'd be kind of nice if there was something that everybody could possibly afford to yeah. get such a thing. They I were mean, saying, I remember like the reasoning behind choosing the sapphire and everything like that was because sapphire both coincides with the 45th anniversary and the 5th anniversary mm-hmm. for gifting and so it's the 5th year of 5e and it's the 45th of D&D in general yeah. so it's like oh it's the perfect choice but it's like what about just like a silver and blue cool acrylic set yeah like i don't don't yeah again don't get me wrong i think the set's really cool but like I don't know, special edition player's handbook or even just a special edition set of, you know, plastic dice or something like that. Obviously thought was put into this because you don't just go to level up dice a week ago and go, hey, make something for us. Yeah. <laughs> this has been in the works for a while. So for them to only have this is slightly disappointing. Um, actually, it's not slightly. It, it is it's pretty disappointing. Um, but if you are out there and you can get this dice set, that is awesome. Totally mm-hmm. do it. And I envy you because these dice are beautiful. Oh, my God. I so want them. It is. I mean, like, it's Sapphire, September Baby. You know, it's like all the things are lining up for me to have these except for money. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that that one, one small detail. Yep. <laughs> uh, next up, we've got the Platinum Edition of Baldur's Gate Descent into Avernus from Beetle and Grimm's are arriving to customers. Oh, all the unboxings. Oh, I my God. I can't open my Twitter account without getting a big help- helping of FOMO. <laughs> <laughs> um, our uh, our good buddy Justice Armin actually did a really good tweet thread about mm-hmm. uh, this uh, this set. You know, full disclosure, he does work for the company. Yeah. But... <laughs> He the the pictures he posted and everything they are amazing and awesome and again big dose of FOMO right there yeah um but yeah well um I I think we retweeted it but I'll I'll be sure to retweet it again uh so you guys can take a look at it because this box is beautiful um it really is and actually we're just gonna sneak this piece of news right into this one too <laughs> speaking of Beetle and Grim boxes oh yeah uh Chris Perkins put out a pretty ominous tweet the other day it, yeah <laughs> that simply said. Hey, if you, I'm going to, you know, paraphrase, paraphrase. (laughs) Hey, if you really like Strahd, you're going to love what I'm working on for 2020. And it's, and oh my God. Yeah. Uh, in case you haven't uh, listened to that Curse of Strahd review yet oh for our episode, uh, Trevor and I are both huge fans of the Curse of Strahd oh book. God, I love it so much. Yep. <laughs> and so we're uh, a little more than ecstatic about that little tweet. <laughs> uh, like, oh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That that was that was a good tweet. But then to make it even better, Matthew Lillard retweeted it with "ditto" and yep. then tagged Beetle and Grimm. <laughs> Now, I put this out in a tweet. I already decided next year I'm getting whatever box is coming out. I, I want one of these boxes not just because I'm a whore for D&D stuff, <laughs> but also because like I think it would be, you know, this is a really cool thing that we have as a product. I'd love to be able to talk about on the show. Yeah. Um, but then for this, th- that Strahd is possibly part of it, oh my god, I am through the freaking roof with excitement. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm just going to start shoving money in a savings account right now. <laughs> If I can just somehow throw that at Matthew Lillard early, I would. (laughs) Um, All right. Next piece of news. The Infernal font uh, that is, you know, kind of centerpieced in Descent into Avernus Mm -hmm. uh, is available on DM's Guild from Wizards of the Coast. It's $10. And you might go, whoa, $10 for a font. That's a little ridiculous. (laughs) It's for extra life. Yeah. 
every cent that is going to this is going to Extra Life, and I think that is a phenomenal way to tie in what you currently have out, what you're promoting, what people want with a great charity. Yeah, no, it's it's certainly a great poll, and especially the font is just really cool oh, it's too. So you can pretty. you can customize and make your own contracts with that. You can do mm-hmm. a really some really cool like possibly put it in the cricket machine you can do a fun cool stuff Ooh, with it i have one of those i know you do yeah Ooh. so it's like you can, you can do some good stuff with that with that yeah font. uh but yeah totally check that out we'll retweet that one but i'm pretty sure you can just go to dm's guild and look up infernal font uh next piece of news rick and morty box set is coming out on the 14th so for you listening to this yesterday <laughs> Um, so yeah, if you don't know about this, this is a box set that is, I, is it a starter set? I couldn't tell you. It's yeah. Yeah. I don't, I don't quite know what it is. Like I basically, I think it's a set like just centered around it. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think it is a starter set. It might be, you might be starting level one, but the, the premise is, is that this is a D and D game run by Rick Sanchez. In fact, the entire campaign has notes and opinions written in the margins <laughs> from Rick. And I think you even get like the characters from the show as character sheets and whatnot. And probably Rick as a monster. Oh, yeah. I mean, um, that's pretty cool. I mean, it's, it's pretty close to the new season. I think that just came out it, last it week. Just, yeah, it just started yeah. last week. But like, it's, it's still crazy to me. It's like, we have a Rick and Morty official Wizards of the Coast product. <laughs> This is the second one. There's already been a, a oh, no, the, comic book. The comic book yeah. and everything. But like this is a this is a D&D box that you can play an adventure of with yeah. Rick and Morty. And I can just sit there and do my absolutely irritating Morty and Rick voices for hours <laughs> on end. That's probably the only reason I'm going to buy it. Um, but yeah, if you're interested in Rick and Morty, go check that one out. Mm-hmm. Uh, l- last piece of news. Eberron comes out next week. It's already here. It's already here. <laughs> Uh, I, it seems like just yesterday that we were freaking out on this uh, this free, uh, this uh, broadsheet section about the fact that they announced it, and it's going to be here, here. next week. <laughs> um, I'm really excited for it. I cannot wait to see what's in it. Um, artwork, setting, story, lore, yeah. mechanics, all that stuff. I am thrilled. But I am starting to wonder if everyone else is. I know a lot of people are, but I know also a lot of people wished it wasn't ever on. Like going mm. back to an old setting, yeah. I think they were wishing it was the Spelljammer or whatever that was. Oh, that'd be that'd be rough. <laughs> I know, but like going back to a different previous yeah. campaign well, setting, where it's like they were wishing more so that than over Eberron. But I think everyone's happy for Eberron, anyways. Mm. Well, um, just Starman put out a uh, a poll to I think it was today, mm-hmm. um, that was like, hey, are you getting Eberron? And there was like, uh, yes, I don't know much about it. Yes, I'm familiar with it. Maybe a no. Uh, yes is you know big majority like at the between the two of them if you have them together it's about 50% yeah but maybe is like 25% currently and then no is just a little bit under that oh wow and so I I was kind of surprised at like the not really the no's because like hey if you don't want to supplement you don't want to supplement the maybes was the one that I was like oh that's interesting the the fact that there's this many people that are like unsure about a setting book well, this is coming out after Ravnica, mm-hmm. and Ravnica was actually a really, it was probably their best setting book that they've come out so far. Uh, I mean, one of two, I suppose. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it had a starting little mini campaign adventure, mm-hmm. and it had 
a ton of cool character options and races and it had a lot of information about the world itself too that even people that have never heard of Ravnica could easily jump into like yeah. my friend Taylor she's never really gotten into Magic the Gathering or I mean like we she has a whole deck but yeah. you know yeah I know she yeah <laughs> doesn't know the lore about yeah. it yeah she's like oh I don't know why I'm playing the Selesnia deck but you know what it's really fun and like, <laughs> yeah we know you win every time but anyways um the Ravnica, it's really well put together. And so I can only imagine Eberron's going to be that, except even just a little better. Mm-hmm. Because, I mean, you learn from what you put out, right? Yeah. And so I can only imagine it would be better. I would hope it would be better. And it, it, it's, I mean, like, I, I probably will get it. Probably oh, no, not the, at release, but... Oh, I'm going to get it day one. But it was yeah. just it was surprising to me that there's that many maybes that are unsure about yeah. it. It does make me wonder if future uh, setting books like if they do Greyhawk mm-hmm. I talk I, I talked to Justice about this like hey if they, it was like if they do Greyhawk are people going to be interested at all or are they just going to look at it like if you don't know what Greyhawk is yeah are you just going to say like oh it's just another fantasy land yeah it's going to be it's going to be a pushing towards that nostalgia factor yeah where you're trying to make bank off of I, people that did play I feel like if they do Greyhawk they're going to have to do a campaign book that's along with it. Yeah. So there's a, 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 a and a, something to entice people to get it who don't know what Greyhawk is. Yeah. I mean, like, you'd think the same for the Eberron, too, but they that's, didn't, they that's didn't true. do No, that's here. true. That's I true. I think they're heavily, almost oddly relying on DM's Guild to, like, yeah. throw in people in there. Um, but the funny part about that concept is that they really don't promote DM's Guild that much. Yeah. I don't know if you've noticed that. And even yeah. in that survey that they produced out, like, I think it was last month, um, DMs Guild wasn't on there like at all. Hmm. And so it's like, oh, what third party system do you go through for D&D? And like D&D Beyond wasn't on there. And I don't think DMs Guild was on there either. Interesting. Yeah. That sounds like a topic for another day. <laughs> yeah. Uh, let's move into some dungeon keeping. It's a very quick thing. We're making two amendments to last uh, week's episode. Um, one, we screwed up uh, Keith's name. It is Keith Amon. <laughs> I should have known that. I'm German. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> um, and also the uh, the live uh, to tell the tale book is not based on a blog. It is its own thing. Okay. Uh, so you know you're we're gonna have to wait and see what it is when it comes out. Very exciting. Uh, but the reason we found those out is because Keith listened to the episode. So thank you, Keith, for listening. I hope Yay. you're still listening. That'd be really cool. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so we wanted to throw those out there just so in case you didn't see our, our tweet about it. Yeah. Get the correct information out there. All right. This is, we, we've gone on enough before this episode. <laughs> My God, 30 minutes in. Um, so we're going to uh, hop into our first topic, uh, which is, well, role playing. Role play, yes. Okay. So I don't know if you know this, but when you're playing Dungeons and Dragons, you are playing an RPG or otherwise known as role-playing game oh yeah. i thought it was weird i thought i, I didn't think a rocket launcher had rpg that's just tabletop role-playing game i didn't think a rocket launcher had anything to do with it that's good to know <laughs> good to know. i'll take yeah. that into the future with me and so um something that i've noticed quite a few people kind of skip over is uh those fancy little four boxes considering your personal characteristics for your character um before we really dive into role-playing itself, I kind of wanted to give you the base that you can figure out how to role-play off of first. So the player's handbook is really nice because it actually gives you quite a bit on how to fill those out. And I've noticed a lot of people just kind of uh, skip over it or and they often don't even know that that bit's there because mm-hmm. I know people skip over it when I ask them, oh yeah, you can customize your background. And they're like, you can what now? <laughs> it's like, yeah, it's literally on that same exact page. <laughs> and so... 
there are, I think one, two, three, there are four bits to your personality uh, characteristics. Your personal characteristics is what they call them. There's the personality traits. There is ideals, bonds, and flaws. Um, I will say some are more important to get a firm grasp of than others for role-playing itself. Um, but that also just depends on you and how you flesh out your own character and how you voice them. Um, but the book straight up tells you and gives you guidance on how to do everything in here. I'm not going to read it word for word, but I'm just going to kind of give like a little summary about it. So like personality traits. So if you've ever picked a background, you've noticed those little tables in there that give you options. So like for the criminal, there's the personality trait. Um, I am always calm no matter what the situation. I never raise my voice or let my emotions control me. So it's like, mm -hmm. if you had no idea how this works and you figured it out when you're making your character, I have to choose a background. You would go through there, choose criminal, okay. And then it says suggested characteristics. And then you choose personality trait, ideal, bond, and flaw. I can't tell you how many times I've seen people just either roll or pick one off that list and carry on. Um, funny enough, you're actually supposed to have two personality traits. I don't know if you knew that. Really? Yep. Um, because your person is more than just a, you know, a one-layered person. Oh. Yeah. I get. Yeah, that does make sense. <laughs> that <laughs> <So>. checks out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, it says, give your character two personality traits. Um, essentially, personality traits are simple ways to help you set your character apart from other characters. Um, and they should be a little specific, so that way you can kind of get a chance of understanding who they are as opposed to the grand scheme of things. Like, saying, I'm smart is not a great personality trait. However, saying, I've read every book in Candlekeep, these are the exact examples they give in the book, is a better one. Because mm -hmm. it doesn't just say, oh yeah, no, he's a, he's a big reader. It says, no, he has spent time in a library. He knows his way is and out, and he knows how to read. He knows, there's a lot more into that. Mm -hmm. um, Basically, it should tell you something specific about your character's interests and disposition. Yeah. So that's why you see a lot of the, like, suggested characteristics. These are not, like, exam. These are examples. Mm -hmm. You don't have to choose these. Well, yeah, I, I think yeah. the the other big thing is, like, you don't actually have to go with any of those that are in the yeah. book. You no. can 100% come up with whatever you want with it mm -hmm. if you feel like it's going to help you role play it better. And, because, and like, at the end of the day, these things, the personality, the flaw, the bond, they're just there to help you role play. In fact, I almost feel like it is way more important for you to know what your personality flaw and bond is yeah. than your DM. Your DM could have no knowledge of what they are, but if you actually role play them and you, and it's not your DM kind of like slapping your hand like, oh no, your flaw says you don't do that. This isn't fate. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it is a better experience and... Mm -hmm really pulls you into that character and also gives you a little something extra yeah. at the table that your your other players will understand. Mm -hmm. um, that's the kind of stuff that I like doing when I role play. Um, I actually, <laughs> I actually re didn't realize until yesterday how much like role play I do in the Ravnica game. Yeah, you you actually pull out a lot in but there. But all of us do. Yeah. Like that I I well, for a lot of groups like it, uh, like our Pathfinder group, we don't do a lot of role play character stuff. Uh but in the Ravnica one, like we the the players have had full conversations <laughs> in character and the it, you know, it is oddly enough, like don't get me wrong, if you don't have role play at your table, mm -hmm. you're not playing the game wrong. 
Yeah. It's okay. You can totally, you can yeah. play this game however you want. Um, but I feel like the role play aspect of the game really does bring something extra to it. It really does. And yeah. those things that you're talking about, I can help you get into them if it's not your thing. If you if you're at a table full of people that are role playing, like I I know of groups where all of the uh, people in it used to be thespians. Yeah. And they are in character <laughs> the whole time. time. You join that group, you never role played before, you never been in an improv group, you are scared. <laughs> you are a deer staring at headlights. Yeah. <laughs> I I I'm I have some suggestions for those kind of people too because uh, that actually kind of happened to us. Mm-hmm. Um Taylor and Spencer, they're both longtime players with me, and both of them are really into the role play part of D and D. And then Cody, Taylor's husband, he was kind of thrust into that. And so between Taylor and Spencer, and then our friend Adam too, who also is into the role play part of it too, it's like Cody's like I, I don't know what to, what to do. Taylor mm-hmm. just yelled at me. I think <laughs> I don't. <laughs> and I told him afterwards, I'm all like, dude, Taylor was like really going in on your character and you handled that exactly how your character would and I'm really happy for you. You did awesome in that. Mm-hmm. He's like, cool, because I kind of just panicked and said whatever. I'm like, no, you did perfect. Yeah. And so I have like some suggestions we can go over about that later too. Yeah, I, I go go ahead. Go with what you're, what you're talking about first. <laughs> yeah, no, no. Um, but personality traits. So they're just, they're not like, they're just interesting personality traits. Like if you consider, think about what makes you mm-hmm. yourself. Like I'm not talking about your character, like you. <laughs> and so it's like you consider those and then kind of consider the background that by now you should have considered for your character. If not, take a look in the Xanathar's Guide. Mm-hmm. Figure out who your character was before this. Were they from a poor I, class um, or were they from a rich family? Were they from, were they an orphan or were they, did they have a family? And I really like, cannot like emphasize enough how good the Xanathar says. I know we talked about it in the review, but like I had my players do it for the Golden Pals yeah. and my God, it, it's going so well. Yeah. I mean, if you're really have, struggling with the personality concept of it, look through that because that can really help forge how your character is. And it's like, there's even a thing that says like, oh, based on your family's upbringing did you have a good childhood yeah. that can form a personality right out there yeah so if you're having trouble with that check out those anathar's guide that'll really help you figure out the background not technical background but your character's backstory mm-hmm. the next one is ideals so ideals is is kind of like the driving mm-hmm. concept it's the motivation it's not necessarily motivation it's 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 difficult to describe. <laughs> um, ideals, I'm just going to read it straight out because I'm having trouble. Might answer any of these questions. What are the principles that you will never betray? What would prompt you to make sacrifices? What drives you to act? And what guides your goals and ambitions? What is the single most important thing you strive for? Yeah, so this could be like following the laws of your guild. Yeah. This could be, uh, you know, uh, adhering to the traditions of your tribe. Mm-hmm. Stuff like that. Stuff that is, it's not what is i don't i don't think it's quite what motivates you day to day but it's what motivates your thinking when you're making a decision yeah that's exactly it it's it's more determined on when you're making the decisions not exactly like <laughs> crazy uh, tiny things yeah. but more so like uh, should you leave this person alive yeah the, um okay let, let, let's let's do this one because it's one of my favorite yeah. ones that um Brian Sanderson talks about in some of his videos is um 
one of the things that he uh, learned from Robert Jordan is you should be able to tell who the character you're reading is even without them being told. Like you should, like if the first sentence doesn't have the character's name, you should still be able to tell who it is because the way the narration goes. So there's a character in Wheel of Time who's comes from a culture where water is sacred. Yeah. And so if you have this character where they where every drop of water is sacred and you go into a tavern and someone's just spilling water, you your character just be like, what are you doing? Mm-hmm. And it's that sort of things that, you know, that bond there with water being sacred can completely change how you go through each situation. Yeah. Um in the examples, they even slightly tie them into alignment. Mm-hmm. And I know we've talked about alignment before and how uh, alignment can grow and change yes. and such. Um, but the ideals themselves can have an alignment of their own, mm-hmm. which is how I interpret it, because they have like a little alignment on there attached to each of these example ideals that they have. Like, for example, with the Outlander, it says, um, ideal, honor. If I dishonor myself, I dishonor my whole clan. And that's the lawful mm-hmm. ideal. Uh, you could be like a chaotic character with that ideal. Yeah. Um, that just means that your ideal itself is of a lawful sort. And so you could adjust to eventually become lawful yourself because that's what maybe that's your flaw is mm-hmm. that you don't match your ideal. Personally, I've never really liked the alignment being tied to yeah. these things. Uh, it's just it, it's another little like thing where it's like it's the mechanics getting in the way. Yeah, I know. And like. It mostly, I think, is put in there to help people choose an ideal. Yeah. It's like to match their alignment. Because yeah. if you're a lawful character, well, that that's, one that's just kind of makes like, sense. That's also a trait that you can roll on, so it doesn't make any sense. I know. <laughs> like, that's another thing. Like, these tables are... This is probably the most... The easiest explained section. However, it's the section that everyone skips on the reading of how-to. Yeah. You know, everyone skips the instructions. Um, but yeah, ideals are really helpful. They help you decide... Mm-hmm. All aspects of your character is really nice. Um, bonds. So you're supposed to have one bond. It's essentially your connection to people, place, and events in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I screwed this up. That was what I was talking about. I even said bonds. Ah. I was thinking ideal. Yeah, I screwed yeah. it up. But insert that talk here. <laughs> yeah, so it's like this is what connects you to the character, to the adventure even. Mm-hmm. This is a great way for character hooks. Yeah. Um, I mean, like, Curse of Strahd introduces bonds in there that are really nice. Same with uh, uh, Tyranny of Dragons. Yeah, and I think yeah, Tomb of Annihilation even throws them in there with their background. I think so, too. yeah, yeah. Um, but bonds are great ways to connect your character into the land that you're in. Or even if you're playing, like, an, like a faraway person from the Sword Coast Adventures Guide. Mm-hmm. I think it even has a way of, like, showing how you're still loyal to your people, but curious about these. Yeah. So it's, like, it's a way to... to solidify your character into this world um it could be tied to your class your background your race or even some other aspect of your history but it's it's a good way to bring you into that adventure Mm -hmm. it's personally i like to have bonds that tie people into the adventure itself because it's more fun to play with that way Mm -hmm. now the last one is the one that people either like to skip and ignore completely or have the most fun with it depends on if you like to role play or not yeah flaws so Flaws okay, are Okay, hang on, real quick. Yeah, let's just... Before you start on yeah. this, I want to insert this real quick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Your flaw is not an excuse to say the words, it's what my character would do. Yes. Uh, we're going to we're gonna talk about that one, I think, this time around, because I think it's time. <sighs> yeah, yeah. Okay. I just want to put that there. Yeah. Continue. <laughs> so, flaws. Um, it's kind of self-explanatory, 
But your character's flaw represents a vice, compulsion, fear, or weakness. Uh, anything that someone else could exploit, essentially, to bring you problems. Um, flaws, a lot of bards like to use, uh, I'm a sucker for a pretty face. I know I have in the past. Mm-hmm. That doesn't mean that you like to seduce everything in town. That means if a pretty girl asks you to do something, you're going to go help her, even though she's a hag in the middle of the swamp, and you just think she's a pretty woman. I'm looking at you, Spencer. <laughs> <laughs> And it's like, okay, yeah, this pretty lady in the middle of the swamp, what's she going to do to us? I'm like, this is a problem. It's like, but she's a pretty lady. I have to help her. <laughs> so it's like, you know, it, the flaws is what people could use to exploit you. Yeah. Um, these are also, I think, way more fun to come up with than mm-hmm. to use out of the book. My favorite flaw I've ever done was actually my necromancer. She couldn't handle any kind of gore and would throw up on the side of it. I love it. A necromancer. Yep. That's so good. That's so freaking <laughs> and so good. Every single time there was like, friggin' Achmenos would just behead something, I would have to make a con save. Otherwise, I would give up my lunch. <laughs> and so it's like, eventually, as the campaign went on, and I would, my con save like number would get better. So it's like it would, it would be easier to beat because mm-hmm. my character would get used to it. But in the beginning, I was just left and right. Like, I, I couldn't hold anything down. <laughs> And that's something that, you know, the DM can exploit. Yeah. Um, Now, speaking of DMs and in accordance to your personality, there's something that we've mentioned here on the show several times. That That we suck at. Yeah. It's it's this tiny little box um, that's actually, if you're using the regular player's handbook... I like I like these extra sounds that we're both putting in words today. Is yeah. using, <laughs> you know, it's great. Uh, it's above the proficiency bonus. It's inspiration. We're, and not, we're not talking about bards. We're not talking about bards. Uh, we're not talking about like the the very concept of it. Of like, oh, are you inspired to do this for your character? Mm-hmm. No, I'm talking about a technical mechanical aspect, word mecha- mechanic of D and D. Yeah. Um, it's straight up. A, it's it's an actual thing in D and D. It's mm-hmm. not. And variant. Yep. It's something that you get from the get-go. Mm-hmm. Um, it's actually pretty much strictly for the DM to manage, which is why Trevor and I both say that we're very terrible at it. So bad. It's not on our players. It's on us. Oh, yeah. 100%. <laughs> our players are great. We suck. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so essentially, the DM can use inspiration to reward players for playing their characters that's true to their personality traits, ideals, bonds, and flaws. So... Essentially, if you notice as a DM, like someone says, oh, they're a sucker for a pretty face. And this is obviously a trap, but there's a pretty girl there, like a la Mad Max, right? It's like, oh, okay. um, Yeah, (laughs) I'm going to have to go for that. It's like, okay, well, here's an inspiration point. In that situation, I'm not sure. Like with, with the way that they have it written. I know I'm. I know I suck at inspiration, so it's wrong for me to even be talking about this. I don't quite think doing them those ways is the best because, um, like the way that I use inspiration when I do mm-hmm. again suck at it is when somebody has a really good idea or has role played something so well, uh, like doing just yeah. the quick decision thing, and especially in that situation though, because it's just like, hey, here's inspiration because you did this thing, and they're like, so it's bad. It's kind of it's kind of just you being like, yeah, it's bad. <laughs> you, you're gonna need some extra help. Yeah. Um, I uh, that th- this is gonna be the one part where it's like I don't agree with how inspiration is written as yeah. is, but I think inspiration as a concept is really good, and I just need to get better at 
handing it out. Yeah. So, I mean, I also do inspiration way different from the book. I mean, straight up, you're only supposed to have one inspiration at a time. Mm-hmm. Um, you're supposed to be, it's that's the con- concept of it. You're supposed to be inspired. Yeah. Um, and that's funny enough, like the only, I think, player attribute in the entire like player sheet is mm-hmm. because you're inspired by what you did with your character in a way. And so you actually get to roll advantage um, with, let's see, attack roll, saving throw, or ability check. So it just gives yeah. you straight up advantage on yeah. it. Um, in a way, DMs, if you use this, I would recommend using it probably a good amount because then your characters, your players won't be scared to use that inspiration. Yeah. Because they'll know, oh, it'll come out. It'll, it'll come back to me. Yeah. It won't be that once potion that you found on the side of the road that you never use, even though it's the boss fight and there's only one in the world. And so you're not going to use it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, if they if they get rewarded it enough, they're going to end up using it. And yeah. I think that leads to them just role playing out their characters or doing cool stuff more often. It kind of yeah. it's, it's a weird way of rewarding good behavior like no kinda, it, it, not behavior but like um it's that psychology it's it's, it's something that i'm trying to reach well out. I don't know. basically for me it is a reward for being invested in the game that's what i'm trying to say yes so um like if they're role-playing their character if they're coming up with a plan if they're doing what their character would yeah. do not in that bad way that we will get to um I think inspiration is a great thing to do. Yes. Um, and mechanically, the way it's written is, yes, if they do something in line with the rules that are written through the bond and the flaw and all that stuff, they get inspiration. I personally think that that is a boring way to do it mm-hmm. and doesn't really promote the role play that I think that they're trying to go for. Yeah. So why don't we transition into some of that role play idea it, stuff? Time. Yeah. Um, so... Yes, that is how it is written in the book. Yes. Let's let's just get down to it and call roleplay what it is. It's improv. It is. You yeah. and your friends are getting together with some dice and you're having an improv session. Like that's that's what it is. Go <laughs> go watch improv. Go watch whose lines it anyways. You thought Dungeons and Dragons was geeky before. Yeah, no. Did like, you know it was just improving with your friends the whole time? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um actually um uh Evil Hat Games, the makers of Fate put out a book called Improv for Gamers. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is one of my favorite things uh, that has been that has come out of, you know, a side thing for RPGs. And namely for is because you open that book and you realize, oh no, they just deceived you. This is a book on improv. <laughs> The, like, That's it. <laughs> like, like, like they put gamers on to make you be like, oh, look, there's some dice on there. That has to do with me. And it's like, no, this is this is how you improv. This is an acting class. Yeah. And so... <laughs> And there, there's one thing that like is said in improv that I do think that you should really take to heart when role playing is the concept of yes and. Yeah. And the the way that that goes is that it, it, the concept is that someone is holding an idea. Mm-hmm. Uh, they are like, okay, so I just came up with this thing that I think it's really cool, and them talking to your character is them handing you that thing and you trying to be the cool guy and just shutting it down is literally just smacking that idea out of their hand yeah so the the concept of yes and is that you take it and that is the yes and is what you put onto it and so you're building something together which is this kind of thing that we've been talking about of building a story together yeah, I mean, because in the end, that's what D&D is. You're writing a story with your friends about this epic adventure yeah. that you all go on. Um, and 
that's where the role play kind of comes in heavily is writing this story together. Now, we mentioned it before, you could be of the group to just not role play at all and play it more like a board game, which is fair. You mm-hmm. can do that. That is an option of how to play D&D. And if that's how you have fun, that's how you have fun. Oh, yeah. But um, that's not what we're here to talk yeah. about today. <laughs> like, but you got to make sure that when you're writing a story together, that it's almost cooperative. Yes. You could have uncooperative moments where it's like not in the in the story, mm-hmm. not necessarily you as a storyteller. There, there is another <laughs> one. This isn't in the improv thing. This is more in a writing thing. Mm-hmm. Um, there is yes, but no and. Oh, okay. Um, yes, but is like, yes, something. This I would say this is almost on the DM side of the screen. Yeah. Where it's like the players want to do something. Do they succeed? Yes, but something bad happens. Mm-hmm. Uh, the players want to do something. Did they succeed? No. And this it got worse. Yeah. <laughs> so it, it's it's that thing of building drama of the uh, of letting stuff happen, but something else coming out of it instead of it. Because if you just give them a yes or a no, it's like, all right, they did the thing. They're done. Or they didn't do the thing and nothing really happened with it. That's that's mm-hmm. the Indiana Jones, uh, you know, the God, the first one. I can't think of names right now. <laughs> you know, like no matter what, they were going to open that box and all the Nazis were going to die. Yeah. That, that, Indiana Jones wasn't necessary for that entire movie. Yeah. Like like there's that the <laughs> Big Bang Theory joke about it. I've been told that's where it's from. Um, but it's. Uh, yeah, like that is no matter what Indiana Jones did, they were gonna open that box, they were gonna die. So, did Indiana Jones succeed? No. <laughs> it, it, it was. It, yeah. it, it's the, you know that's that's all there is. Actually, actually, that one was. Did Indiana Jones succeed? Yes, and that was it. That was it. The Nazis didn't get the thing, and, yeah, and it died. was fine. <laughs> um, so, but when you're improving as a player. Um, you really do want to try to do the yes and thing yeah. where you're building on it, where someone is trying to build their character story. Um, and if you just shut them down, that sucks. I mean, this is where your ideals really come into play too. Yeah. Because if someone presents you an option to take, you can consider what your character's ideals are and then you can respond in kind. Yeah. Like for that example, that um, the water is sacred one, right? Mm-hmm. So it's like, okay, uh, a character is handing you a glass of water. It's like, okay, I could just take it. Or it's like, you can actually do something with that. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a poor example, but it, it kind of goes to lens to it. It's like, consider what your ideals are when deciding and role-playing because they really help you decide what to do in that. Because especially if you're new to role-playing, that'll give you like a basis, I think. Well, let, let's let's use this, this water one again. Yeah. Uh, like the... And it doesn't even, the yes, the, the presenting of the idea doesn't even have to be directly to you in yeah. conversation. It could be that this character thinks water is sacred, you know, just is appalled at the way it's used around that people just, you know, bathe in it and then throw it out the water, or throw out the window. Um, so that could be just a thing presented to the group. And you could take that and do the yes and with... Um, you're out and about, like it's a travel montage and stuff like that. And you describe yourself taking a swig of your canteen but putting your hand up so that none mm-hmm. of the water comes out that you're not wasting any of it yeah and it just to make sure that this person is okay and is, is appeased with that that is that's cool because that is two different characters made by two different people interacting in a world and showing that they're actually sharing the world mm-hmm. they understand each other they actually are doing stuff 
consciously about each other. Yeah. Instead of it just being four people that are describing four independent characters that happen to be <laughs> that are in reacting the same place. to this event. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Now it's it's always almost rewarding to roleplay with each other than just roleplaying your character. Yeah, that's a really big like you can roleplay your character till the cows come home, but if you're not interacting with anyone else, you may as well just be grabbing the spotlight at a theater play every mm -hmm. time it moves away from you. Um, it, you need to have something interacting with players outside of just like, have you heard that I'm the greatest? <laughs> um, and stuff like that. Like, um, there was, there was a, a Pathfinder game, uh, way back in the day that Tara was running and Wiz was in it. Mm -hmm. She was playing a woman that was disguising herself as a man mm -hmm. in fact the party didn't even know that no oh, okay and so when i was role playing my character i always kept that consciously in mind yeah and referred to her as him and uh would would sometimes put situations in where it was uh or is like that putting the I can't think of the words that I'm trying to say right now <laughs> that I would do things I would put the uh whiz in a situation that was just like oh god I, I have to keep up this disguise right now <laughs> it's like treat her as masculine as opposed to like yeah well yeah. I, I would I would find ways like in conversation to put it the spotlight on her just that so that she could try and keep up that disguise <laughs> yeah um and so that is doing the yes and with I understand that this is what she wants as a character and stuff like that. I'm not trying to out her. Mm -hmm. That was never my goal. I wanted yeah. her to do her own thing. Um, but I would put, I would try and put my character, have my character put things into the story that was making it so that she could have that opportunity to show that she is trying to hide that. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. So, um, <laughs> speaking of trying to out her and being an ass, mm -hmm. uh, let's talk about what we've brought up a few times. Okay. Okay, so let's say you have a flaw that you charge into battle without thinking. Or something of the lines. Mm -hmm. And you're walking down a staircase. Or, or even the uh, the, the whole, uh, I, I can never turn down something shiny, something like that. Yeah, it's like, oh yeah, I can't help but put things in my pockets. Mm -hmm. um, with that first one, you charge into battle, you're walking down a staircase and you hear, you're in a dungeon of all things. And there have been traps. And you hear something at the bottom of the staircase. So you charge down, leaving the rogue behind, and then you trigger a trap, <laughs> and everyone is hurt from it. Mm -hmm. And your first response is, it's not my fault, it's what my character would do. So, one, that's a problem. <laughs> <laughs> Two, you're putting your character's personality in front of the game you're playing. Mm -hmm. Three, you're harming other people's ability to also role play. That that is like you know outside of examples and stuff like that. That's kind of my biggest thing is that like if you're harming somebody's ability to role play in the game, then the it's what my character would do is bullshit. Yeah. If uh, let let's say that um you know my my character in that Pathfinder game was a cleric and whatnot and you know let's say that. He, uh, he had suspicions about her being a woman and stuff like mm -hmm. that. And if I was perpetually trying to out her, 
That's not why she made that character. Yeah, no. Wiz did not make this character to be like, oh, I'm here to have there be drama and always on the edge of being outed. She just did it because that's the character she wanted to play. Mm -hmm. So me constantly trying to put her in a situation to out her or to be like oh well that doesn't seem very manly like and stuff like that or it's like oh i want to follow her in her tent and make sure when she undresses it's like whoa 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 whoa, whoa, whoa dude whoa <laughs> it's uh, like well, what we're both dudes that won't be a problem right it's like okay hang on yeah that is <laughs> That's not role playing. You're being a dick. Yeah, and it's the same concept for a rogue. It's like if a rogue's like, oh yeah, I'm actually secretly evil. My overall plan is to do something crazy at the end of the campaign, mm -hmm. and the paladin in the party is like, oh, I'm gonna sense evil on him for no reason at all. Yeah, for no reason at all. Granted, that one should probably be a secret with the DM, but yeah, I yeah, understand. I know what you mean. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, yeah, yeah. it's like it's. <laughs> You're bringing meta into it just to kind of almost ruin someone else's role play. Yeah, and I think I think that's another one. If you're bringing the meta into it to and using that as part of the role play, it's like, well, one, your character shouldn't even be thinking that. Yeah. Um. And but in the example of just like you're just bounding through, like the the dude that just runs into battle, you even said there had been traps in the dungeon. Mm -hmm. It's like, okay, is your intelligence score four? Yeah, exactly. If it is, sure, whatever. One, I don't know why that group's bringing you with you because that's just a dumb character to have around. Mm -hmm. uh, but like, you have seen these things. You know these things. Remember that. Remember that when you're playing, your character isn't just only in the moment you're playing. Yeah. They have seen everything that's happened before that. Yeah. They also have history from before you even went into that dungeon. I mean, like, Consider this as a child. If you shock yourself from an electric socket, are you going to do that again? <laughs> no. Even though the baby is curious and that's a personality trait, they're not going to go up to the socket and touch it again. Yeah. Because they know, oh, there's other things to do. Or my mom said, no, I shouldn't do that. Mm -hmm. And it's like if the rogue is saying, let me go in front so I can make sure we don't get murdered. You know, I know to let the rogue go in front because they can keep me from being murdered. Mm-hmm. You wouldn't let the rogue from being a rogue simply because your character your characteristic says, I'm going to charge in. Like, just Gran like granted, with alignment. Granted, rogue isn't, like, that's still a little bit of metagaming because you're like, you're the rogue, you should do this. But, like, if you have if you have another person role-playing and saying, like, let me do this, I'm good at it. Well, that's what I mean. Yeah, like, yeah. a rogue saying, let me go ahead and look for traps. Yeah, okay, sorry, misunderstood, like, yeah. but yeah. And just like with alignment, personality traits can change and adapt. I personally yes. find that very true, and people should uh, adapt that to their play style. <laughs> because it, it, I mean, picking up a flaw halfway through a campaign because something like traumatizing happens yeah. is a crazy interesting way to adjust your character. I mean, I know the game does that mechanically sometimes with madness and stuff. They give you new personality traits, mm -hmm. but I think doing that on your own is almost a better way to do it because I've talked about this with my group before about how characters should grow like there should be character growth yes. and like we talked about that a little bit with the alignment but it should also be reflected in the overall way well, yeah. of you choose decisions and everything the like that the way that you role play your character yeah um because you do have character growth and you aren't just your character backstory that's not you your entire life just because something traumatized happened when you were little and you're an orphan. Uh, hello, you've been adventuring now. 
you're strong. You are dexteritous. You have swung a sword and killed many a monsters. You have a story now. That's adjusting your backstory. Your backstory mm-hmm. now is everything that be for this point. It's yeah. no longer, oh, I'm an orphan and I was like on the streets for all my life and I don't trust anybody. Your, your now backstory is I was an orphan. Mm-hmm. However, I met these lovely bunch of people that have traveled with me and helped me survive things that I wouldn't have traveled with alone. Yeah, that that uh, two sentence uh uh, background is now the first part of the first sentence. Yeah. I, I, I think that is a great way to think of it. It's like, it's still there. It's still you. But now something bigger has happened. Mm-hmm. Now something greater has affected your yeah. life. I mean, especially if you're playing campaigns too. Yeah. Because these campaigns are supposed to be, in a way, world-altering kind of events. Mm-hmm. And so if you have a bond that is attached to this campaign, and if it's like really invested into it like uh with tomb of annihilation for example because i know that it's i mean it's not really a spoiler but spoiler like the death curse Mm -hmm. you know um essentially if someone has died they are actually decaying yeah and dying for real and so i mean that's i think one of the reasons that sandra sylvain yeah that it's like the main reason why she sends you out there and so if you have like oh someone that you care about and is or dying. you or you i know that would put a really crazy interesting thing on that and oh my god i would hate to be the dm for that because math but <laughs> one hit point every day every day Ooh, that trick through the jungle just gets a little more harrowing yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, so it's it's important to kind of update and take a look at your personality traits every now and then and you're probably doing it subconsciously without realizing mm-hmm. it like oh, oh yeah you don't have to write this shit down either yeah like oh my character wouldn't do that but then you look at your character sheet and it says, oh, my character would do that. And you're like, wait, <laughs> mm-hmm. that's because as you've been playing, you've probably adjusted it in your head about how you play this character. Yeah. Like just because you wrote it down on the piece of paper, that's like the one thing on the piece of paper that can easily flow and change. Mm-hmm. I mean, it depends on your role playing style, too. Like if you're I've kind of talked about this with my group before where I'm a very caring person mm-hmm. in game and out. And so in game, I can write a striker to hell and back. But in the end, they will become either a leader or a caretaker or mm-hmm. the mother figure. It doesn't matter if I'm like a pure rogue striker. I'm going to turn into someone that cares about other people. Yeah. And I mean, even you're going to turn into someone that you want to see them become. Yeah. And that's just how I role play. And so I know now, like, instead of trying to force myself into a different niche that will just end up going back anyways, I kind of know, like, Uh, I'm going to end up like this anyways. So I'm going to try to maybe work with that. Mm -hmm. Like if it is a character growth, like is there a reason why they would do that? Or is that just me? (laughs) But that's me. And I know how I role play. And as you play the D and D itself, you'll kind of figure out what you drive into as well. You also aren't expected to be a fantastic role player. The first, no, God, no, (laughs) that's Um, probably worth mentioning. Oh, I'm going to, I'm going to speak about that real quick. So, Bringing back to Cody, mm-hmm. way back when, when I mentioned that, um, he asked me, like, is there ways that I can, like, kind of help myself? And so I'm like, okay, so if you're having trouble, just the actual logistics of role playing, here's a few tips. So I told him, refer to yourself in third person. Say, like, narrate it as, like, a story as mm-hmm. opposed to being it in first person, like, you acting as the character. So, like, saying, okay, um, instead of being in character, saying, like, oh, yeah, no, I don't want to do that because it's not, like, what I would want to do. And it's, like, you could say, Kaisto seems displeased at this concept. Um, he kind of stands back and looks offended a bit. That's still role-playing. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's if it's easier for you to, con- like, grasp as a concept, as narrating, as opposed to role-playing... 
I say go for it because it'll help your DM figure out whose voice is what. Mm -hmm. Because especially if you feel like I don't have a character voice, literally, you don't have an accent or something that shows everyone you're being that character. It's difficult to tell sometimes if you're in character or out of character. Mm -hmm. So narrating as opposed to role playing can sometimes really help with that. Yeah, no, that I think that is a great thing. I've told, I've actually had told people to do that too. I was like, hey, if it's easier, just do it this way. Yeah. And then there's you know Michael Hulick who does a first person, third person <laughs> description. Um, but I think that is where we're going in this topic. Yeah. Uh, if you have any advice or any stories or anything that you'd like to contribute to this uh, topic, you can send those into difficultyclass at gmail.com and we might talk about them on an upcoming episode. We, you know, we're playing around the idea of like revisits and stuff, so we might come back to this one mm-hmm. at some point. Uh, we're going to transition over into our DMs Guild Spotlight. Very exciting. Very exciting. Uh, we got uh, two people, two authors here that we've talked about before. One of them we even had on the show. Hey. So this uh, week's DMs Guild Spotlight is Baldur's Gate, the fall of... Oh, God, I fucked this up. El Terrell. El Terrell. There we go. <laughs> I'll get it one of these days, hopefully, before I run this damn campaign. Um, so... Yes, it's Baldur's Gate, The Fall of El Terrell. It is written by Anthony Joyce and Justice Arm. Arm, yeah, Justice Armin. I don't know why I thought I was going to fuck up his name. <laughs> um, the uh, Justice was on the podcast. Yep. He wrote Step Right Up. Uh, Anthony Joyce uh, wrote uh, The Weekend at Strahd's, uh, which what is still just so freaking amazing. <laughs> yeah, and these two made a, a an adventure that is phenomenal. Yep. I read through it uh, before we recorded today, and. Like I, I immediately messaged them and told them like, "Hey, I just had to tell you guys this is like wizards worthy stuff." Mm-hmm. Um, they even added a few things in here that wizards doesn't do that I think is a fantastic idea and wouldn't mind seeing adopted in not only other adventures on DM's Guild but maybe even in Wizards. So let me read you the little blurb thing. Baldur's Gate Fall of El Trail is an introductory two-hour adventure for Baldur's Gate Descent into Avernus. Or Tyranny of Dragons for first level characters. I love that. So this is the really cool thing. Yeah, the, because there is some things in this adventure that happen uh, that involve Tyranny of Dragons stuff. You can totally lead this right into Tyranny of Dragons. In fact, it goes pretty well into Chapter 4 of Tyranny of Dragons. Wow. Um, but it can also perfectly set up uh, Descent into Avernus. Um and honestly, the hook at the end, like if you continue going with the Tyranny of Dragons, I'm like, well, you, that's going to be weird. <laughs> uh, but it can it can totally work. But also, not only that, so let, let, let me go over the things that I like that were added. I, each chapter starts with an estimated duration time. Oh, shit. Really? Yes. That's so pretty cool. Chapter one says estimated duration, 20 minutes. Wow. Their block text uh, has dialogue in it and descriptions of who's in rooms, not just the room. Um, they pull in characters from other adventures. There's a character in here from Tyranny of Dragons. There are there's stuff in here from uh, Baldur's Gate Descent to Avernus, and it feel it makes it feel more cohesive with those. Mm-hmm. But the other really cool thing they did is there are character backgrounds. Hey, do you want to be a Hellrider? Do you want to have been in the Order of the Gauntlet? Oh, I remember seeing a tweet about Do the Hellriders. Do you want to be uh, part of the Flaming Fists? So very much like the Ravnica book. Yeah where it had these backgrounds for being in the guilds, they have those for uh, groups in, in one of the factions of Faerun. Uh, the, the other thing that I really like is there is a there's these other block texts that come in here that is advice and what uh, the, um, the point of this happening is. Mm-hmm. So, like, it, you know, 
I don't know, I can't really say one of them without giving spoilers for Descent into Avernus. Uh, but basically, the, it gives the intention of what this really peaceful part of the adventure is for. That's really nice. It also gives the intention for what like the main climax of it is and what outcomes it can lead to. I like that a lot because <clears throat> a lot of times you end up going through this entire dungeon and your players are like, what are we here for? Yeah. And having like the intention just laid out there easily uh, helps it, you as a DM to remember, but also helps you remind your players too. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's, it's not just that, but it, it's, it's not really something the players should know. Yeah. It, it's like, hey, so this group is in Descent into Avernus at this point. That's really cool. So you can connect these two and set them up better. It's like foreshadowing. Yeah, no, it, it, I really <laughs> do like that. Like, I, I kind of wish that there was stuff like that in official D&D products. Because don't get me wrong, I read through the whole thing. I know what I'm foreshadowing. But it'd be cool if I got that reminder as I'm reading through it. Yeah, like if you're going through a the one through three level adventure yeah. at the beginning of each campaign where they introduce something and they're like, hey, this guy's going to come up again. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it's that'd like, be good. Oh, I know that this guy might be a little important to emphasize here. Yeah, that would be really nice. Um, uh, so, yeah, I fully endorse this thing. I love that the artwork is so good. The maps mm-hmm. in it are so good. I don't know how the hell they made this look as good as it freaking does. <laughs> and the best part is, is $5.95. Holy wow. This is an amazing value. You get two hours of entertainment out of it. And it's just a great supplement. You should go support these two authors who are definitely making their way in uh, in this uh, RPG writer community. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's fantastic. All right. Well, let's go into topic two, which is how we prep. Oh, boy. Um, yeah. So I did one of these a long time ago on Dungeon Driver. I say a long time ago. It hasn't even been a year. Um <laughs> And I thought it would be a fun one to do. Not really like the, like, here's how you prep. Because really for me, there's no wrong way to prep. Um, You, even if you go to a game without prep, if that's the way you DM, fine. Yeah. That's great. (laughs) That's good to hear. At the end end of the day, if everyone at the table has fun Mm -hmm. and they walk away going like, I want to come to the next one. It doesn't matter what you did before that. But you know what? Sometimes... It's really good to have some shit written down so you don't panic internally. <laughs> yeah, no, that's 100%. Uh, take it from someone who does do that a lot. Yeah. <laughs> so the, the the way that I thought that we could do this is um, talking about how we used to prep and how we prep now and then where we see things that we still need to work on. No, that's perfect. I was going to suggest that too. Um, <laughs> oh, man, it's like we should have these conversations before we start recording. Um, <laughs> but before we get into that, Hector Ray is wrote in to hey. difficultyclass at gmail.com, just like you can if you want to have any input in these uh, these topics. By the way, I should probably know, we do tweet on uh, on the day, usually the day before we record, what we're going to be talking about. So if you pay attention, you know, maybe, you know, follow us on, on Twitter and stuff like that, <laughs> you can have your own input like Hector is having here. So he wrote, wrote, why can't we say words today? We're That's DMs. one of them days. <laughs> Hello, friends. Uh, wanted to share with you uh, how I prep for running a game. I have two types of prep, long-term and single session. So for long-term prep, I have a small library of files. And this is the bullet points. Setting documents slash house rules, mm-hmm. NPC list, magic item list, 
player character roster with their level, class, background, and inspiration. Yeah, see? He's much better at this than we are. <laughs> and then lastly, pr- uh, player written session recaps. Huh. So a l- little bit of a, a reminder, if uh, you don't remember, Hector Reyes is uh, one of our friends, and um, he runs West Marsh's style games. He has giant groups of people that oh, meet several times yeah. a week. And so he has two groups playing in the same town, in the same group that meet at different times. It is crazy, and I love it, and I definitely want to have him on. Uh, I would love to have him and Caitlin on to actually talk about this. Yeah, I'm so intrigued. (laughs) Uh, He continues uh, by writing, I use a combination of Google Docs, Obsidian Portal, and Facebook to keep track of it all. My long-term prep is incredibly important because it can become uh, indispensable when I have zero time to do any prep for a single session. I just glance at all my files, make a few bullet points of interesting potential encounters, and pull together a session based purely on my player's actions and and the settings reaction to them. Now on the uh, now on the fortunate times I do have time to prep for a single session. I tend to use three act plot structure. I have the five room dungeon, uh, re- uh, which the five room dungeon really helps with because the five room dungeon can actually help outline and flesh out act two and three. Uh, act one tends to be uh, gangbusters. Uh, tends to be gangbusters for me uh, because of the long-term prep I have already done. I use this uh, fifth edition encounter calculator to balance any combat encounters I have planned. If maps are needed, I hand draw them. I always have a hard time finding anything online that fits what I um, what I imagine in my mind. Sometimes I handwrite my adventures. I have a cool sketchbook. I write them in with drawings of my maps along with the written adventures. Other times I write them into outlined or hyperlinked Google Docs with the hyperlinks leading to the SRDs online so I can uh, so I don't have to crack open the monster manual. Uh, it's all on my computer. I am uh, I'm experimenting with both styles, and I find I enjoy both for different reasons. As always, uh, <laughs> thanks for the awesome podcast, Hector Reyes, GM at large. Oh, thank you, Hector. Um, wow, yeah, that's a lot of stuff. That I will admit, probably a lot more than what I do. <laughs> uh, Actually, no, not probably. It is a lot more than I do. Yeah. Um, the Google Docs and all that stuff, and. It, also, it's worth noting that Hector runs his own homebrew world. Yes. Uh, he's world-built this thing all on his own and all that stuff. Well, I, I, I'm actually not going to say all on his own because his players have influenced and created things that he has kept in the game. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. So having, uh, if you're not familiar with Obsidian Portal, it's uh, kind of a social media for RPGs where you can keep your group together and stuff like that. It's pretty cool. There's some things I don't quite like about it. I'm kind of dabbling with a website called uh, God World Forge, huh. World Anvil, something like. I think it's World Anvil. Um, that's for world building and stuff like that. Um, but that prep sounds fantastic, and uh, no wonder your players love your stuff so yeah, much. You sound prepared. <laughs> yeah. Um, I want to read that at the beginning, but let's go into this, and then we'll talk about what maybe Hector's doing that we can implement in ours. Yeah. Uh, you want you want to start with uh, what what how you used to prep? Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So way back when, um, when I first started DMing, I was actually uh, I've mentioned this before. I based it entirely off of the Neverwinter MMO. Yeah. My prep was to play the game, write down literally what the NPCs said. And I would even screenshot. Oh, I remember. Yeah. And I would then implement that and almost use that as a cutscene in a way and say, okay, 
he has said this to you. Now what do you do? And it's like, well, we have questions for him. And I'm like, what? (laughs) That's not an option, though. (laughs) So in a way, it was really terrible prep. It was not prep at all. Um, As far as role playing and setting up the adventure goes. Mm -hmm. Like, I knew in general. Okay, so they're going their quest is this in order to complete the quest they need to do this and then um thankfully i had the wherewithal to think it's their plan of what's going to happen in between that yeah but in order to finish it they have to do this it's like okay so establishing that i had set up back then like i remember the first time i was dming i had set up like the exact enemies that i wanted Mm -hmm. in the face i had set up uh i used index cards for every single enemy that they would face and it would keep track of all their health on those index cards. I have I have an index card of a zombie's like stat block and one fourth of it is just an eraser hole because <laughs> I would use that stat block so much in that beginning of the game and I would just write over and over being again. being a big thing in an MMO? I don't believe it. I know. And so it's like, oh gosh. And so it kind of ended up just being really it was too much for me mm-hmm. personally. I knew that. Um, so my entire game was run by index cards. Yeah. Um, I didn't use any other thing like a computer. I didn't use anything else. I didn't use a notebook. Mm-hmm. Um, and before this, I was the note taker. I was the note taker in the campaign I was playing in beforehand. And I wrote down everything. Yeah. And <laughs> here I am as a DM still writing down everything except just not notes. Yeah. That was the one thing I didn't write down, um, which is hilarious to me. So... Flash forward, eventually I got rid of the cutscene dialogue mm-hmm. because I learned how to improv better. It comes with practice, hey, trust me. tying into that last time. Yeah. Um, I learned how to improv better, so I learned essentially I had new index cards that just said a person's name, their gender if they have it, and their race, and then their uh, role, essentially, in the place they're at. Mm-hmm. Like uh, Harper Eric, I just write he's male, he's an el- he's a human, and he's a night shift Harper. That's all he is. Mm-hmm. But based off of that, I know how to role play him because it's like it's almost like uh, triggers that help me remember how to role play him yeah. and his personality traits. Um, I don't have any of these things written down anywhere because you know that would be smart. But <laughs> <laughs> um, I do that for like all my NPCs, and I have quite a lot of them they have a home base in neverwinter and so i have kept track of like half the shops that they've gone to i have written down um the prices that they've given them Mm -hmm. on these same index cards that i first wrote down the shop name i have written down there like the name of the people that are working there so that way it's like oh if i come back to this jeweler shop it's the same person that was working there before Mm -hmm. and it's like oh i came back to the same jeweler shop oh it's a husband and wife team. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, my husband was away. Oh, cool. And so it's like they're getting more yeah. into the world itself. And pretty much, yeah, I still run things off of index cards. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't. They're more note. They're more note like. Yeah. yeah. And that's as far as like role playing and world building goes. As far as encounter building, that's where I fall short. I don't plan encounters. Yep. At all. Um, mostly because uh, thankfully for the past like I mentioned, year, my players have been doing boss fights after yeah. boss fight after boss fight. However, I have been having to tweak these boss fights like crazy because they're meant for level 8 characters and they're level 13. Mm-hmm. And I'm over here like, well, I can make it more difficult if I make them these way instead. And we've already talked about how to do that. Mm-hmm. I just kind of do that on the fly, which I know I shouldn't. 
but I do. I'm not going to say you shouldn't. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I appreciate that. Yeah. Because sometimes I feel like as if I fall short in that way as a DM, because I feel like it probably could have been better if I planned this out a little bit. I, okay, well, I'm also not going to say that that is an incorrect statement. However, yeah. I do think that you can be at a point as a DM that you can eyeball such a thing. Yeah, um, like that, the the tree blight thing that I just mentioned that happened last week. Mm-hmm. Um, I had planned for there to be tree blights, but this was my this was also my first fight since they turned mm-hmm. this level at this tier, so to speak. And so I honestly didn't know where things would end up. I probably should have thrown things through some sort of encounter, like the Xanthar's Guide encounter guide. Like I should have looked at that mm-hmm. because it would have helped me figure it out uh, maybe some difficulty level that I could have thrown it at to kind of ease them into this concept of this tier. But instead I just kind of eyeballed it and I worked out thankfully mm-hmm. <laughs> exactly how I wanted it to. But um, I, I knew I should have looked at it more beforehand, but I guess if we're talking about like stuff that we can improve upon, well, let, that, let's, that would be, at. let's save that one. Let's, yeah. We'll both talk about that at yeah. the end. Um, uh, but as far as anything else that I prep, I do have written down on my phone of all places in the notes app, um, the overall motivations and plans for the bad guys. Mm-hmm. That's the probably only thing I have written down long-term plan-wise is what the bad guys are doing while the characters are away. Yeah, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it turned out that I ended up being the note-taker again <laughs> for my own campaign that I'm running. Um, I think that is totally fine. And yeah, because like we'll we, get into it in a little bit, but I think that yeah. DMs should do that. We tried it out. Like uh, my boyfriend tried it out for a bit, but he couldn't um, like be involved with the game and note take at the same time. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, okay, yeah, don't do it. That's fine. Um, and then a couple other people tried to do it, but then they were like, they're like, well, I'm doing it from my character's perspective. And then we only got like half the things that happened in the game. And I'm like, oh, that's not working out for me, the DM. Yeah. And so I ended up actually getting like a little $5 journal, $5 journal from Michaels and just like filling it out. And I'm incorporating your concept. I'm just filling it out with stickies on top of the notes itself. Mm-hmm. The stickies are for me to note like ideas that I had for next session. So that way when I open it up to do the previously on, I could see right there. Oh yeah, I was planning on putting in five tree blights. That's right. I should probably open up that step block. <laughs> you know, so it's like <laughs> I have these sticky notes that tell me what to do for next time that I have ideas from the previous uh, game that I got. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I also take notes, which help me realize what path they're on. I also take notes on like what, how many days they've done because mostly because of, well, they're going to get a tower in a hundred days, but now it's going to be, 89 days because I've been keeping track. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Nice. But it's like those are pretty much all the prep that I do. It's very minimal. Very, very minimal. I I don't do any kind of encounter prep, really. But what about you? What do you Um, do? So let's talk about young Trevor. Yes. (laughs) Starting off with that fourth edition D&D way back there in the good old days of 2011. Yes. So... Yeah, I didn't really ever talk to anyone about prep, considering I had someone who had been playing it since they were a child available to talk to. And now the more that I think about that, I don't understand why I did that. Um, I didn't look up anything online. I was just like, oh, I can do this. It was one of those completely cocky, arrogant Trevor moments that I've had many <laughs> of. Where I was just like, oh, no, I know how to do this. It's fine. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would have a, I'd have a spiral notebook, and I would write out everything. 
I would write out what happened, what is going to happen in the adventure, every room, every description of the room, every dialogue. You wrote a book. So yeah, <laughs> there, there's that there's that good old piece of advice that I gave a long time ago. It was like, hey, if you're outlining an 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 adventure and you're outlining what the players are going to do, you're outlining a book. Yeah, <laughs> and I was doing that. Which, you know, kind of slightly makes sense that I was actively trying to write a book at the same time. (laughs) However, I didn't notice, oh, shit, I'm doing the same thing. Mm -hmm. Um, But, yeah, I would would write out, like, room descriptions. I would handwrite out monster stats and dialogue and all of this stuff. And stuff. (laughs) Yeah. Um, And it got to the point where it's just like, this is too much. Um, So when we... Stop doing our fourth edition game. I had this long lull of not DMing. Uh, Tar picked up doing uh, Pathfinder, and we talked about her prep and stuff, and that's changed over the years too. Uh, when I came back to running games, it was with Star Wars. Mm-hmm. And again, super massive cocky Trevor moment. <laughs> I went, I don't need to prep. I know everything there is to know about Star Wars. Right. This is before the EU was blown up. I can just do whatever my players want. And here's the part where cocky Trevor doesn't learn anything. I was right. <laughs> I never plotted. And in a, the only time I prepped any session that game was the last one. Oh, wow. And that was because we were doing this climactic finale. Yeah. And I went into every game without a single thing written down, literally sat down and went, okay, you guys are here. You're, uh, this is what you were doing when we left off. What are you doing now? Yeah. And we would just go and do things and see where it took them. And they did incredibly awesome, crazy things. And it was so freaking freeing. <laughs> oh, my God. Especially going from fourth edition to that. Yeah. And the next thing I tried to run was Pathfinder, Skulls and Shackles. And, well, I've told this story on the show before. I threw that campaign book over my shoulder because I hated it so much. And I just started running it the same way I was running Star Wars. Mm-hmm. I did some world building. And that was about it. And I just ran every game off the cuff. Yeah. Um, when we came back and did Tyranny of Dragons, I tried to run it from the book again. And so, like, this is kind of where I've been, where the two things meet of non-prep and full prep is I really did love running it out of the adventure book. I loved mm-hmm. the world of Faerun and all that stuff, but I wanted to keep that lore correct you know like not break the canon the, they the set down. canon yeah so there was this level of like okay i want to learn all of this stuff which as a D fan i loved doing because it let me be in this world when i wasn't playing the game yeah um and then also have this prep style that i worked on over a few campaigns so with tyranny of dragons i just kind of went by the book except for a few where i didn't and I kind of went back to how I did in 4th edition where I was writing out too much. But I knew at that point to leave places for people to make decisions. Mm -hmm. So I had a lot of, if this happens, if this happens, if this happens. Yeah. Um, I mean, you see that constantly in campaign books too. It's like mm -hmm. I was reading through the Descendant of Avernus and it's like, it feels like every other like paragraph says if, if yeah. the characters <laughs> um so what i started doing with tomb of annihilation was i read through the beginning part like port nine zero and everything and i had a thing of sticky notes next to me and i was writing down notes and sticking them in the book mm-hmm. that way it was already there was information that was already in the book but it was at a quick glance yeah I still love doing that. Um, and I would write out, and I just started using sticky notes for everything where I was writing out like, 
you know, what was going to happen. And I ended up using like two or three sticky notes for each session. And then I started running Curse of Strahd and I was like, oh, well, Chris Perkins runs this for Dice Cam Reaction. I want to watch that. So I started watching some of that, seeing what Chris was doing. But there was an interview with Chris that I got linked to through watching those that was about prep. Mm -hmm. And he said, "Um, oh, I only prep the first 15 minutes of a game. (laughs) Yeah. And I went, well, that's insane. But then I went, but it's Chris Perkins. I should try that. And I did. And the next session went so much better than all the other ones I'd been running. Mm-hmm. So that's what I do now. I My games generally stick to one sticky note. I bullet point a few things that might happen or things that are sure to happen. And that's it. Yeah. And then I just kind of let it go. Uh, this last session, like I, I had two sticky notes from the one before because there was a lot of ifs. Yeah. And so I was still kind of using those with this current session. Um, but yeah, I so I now I have a notebook that uh, I ha- called the Golden Pals Notebook. Allie can see it's this. It's gold. It's gold. <laughs> uh, you know, got to spit the aesthetic. And I put the sticky note in there. And then next to it in the notebook, write out what's happening as it happens. Mm-hmm. Last session, I wasn't really able to do that because a lot of crazy shit happened all at once. <laughs> um but so I, I, yeah, I take down these notes as I'm going, as they're doing it so that I can mm-hmm. remember everything for when I go to my next sticky note. Yeah. So I can look back on it and see what they did. Um, right now, this is working really well. I do in the front of this notebook actually have, I drew out these box stats yeah. that keep track of the player's stuff. And then a little bit ahead of it, I have ones for NPCs. Oh, nice. Except I don't know what. Past Trevor was thinking, there's not a spot on this for AC. The- <laughs> I'll take a picture of this and post it on our Instagram later <laughs> at Difficulty Podcast. So you can see that, yeah, there's a lot of good stuff on here, except AC. Oh, well, at the same post, I'll put one of my index cards yeah. with my NPCs. <laughs> um, but yeah, what you were saying, though, about encounters, do not prep them. Yeah. I, I don't, I, I haven't prepped an encounter except for the bookstore games in a long time mm-hmm. uh, because there are, as you can, as you, if you heard the recap earlier, golden pals are really hard to expect what they're going to do. Yeah. <laughs> I put up this long tweet thread to, to justice this week about like what happened during dragon heist. Don't read it if you don't want spoilers about it, but um, it like if I had sat there and prepped every encounter for the building that they were in, they literally, grappling hooked up to the last room yep and i would have wasted so much time doing that also like for all i knew they were going to like set a fire in another part of the city and have all of those guards run over there and so it wouldn't have even mattered so i can't know at any given moment what they're going to face unless it is a really preset one that is like it's sprung on them yeah and stuff like that and even then like i will probably write down my notes six goblins (laughs) <laughs> yeah. Or just something really quick like that. I'm not going and looking at it. I'm not building an encounter. Uh, if I need to adjust something on the fly, I will do it. And, uh, and again, that sounds cocky and whatnot, but like I I feel like I'm at this point where I can eyeball an encounter yeah. and adjust it on the fly for any kind of difficulty or whatnot. Um, full disclosure, I think the only encounters that we really truly do prep beforehand would be boss fights. Yeah. Yeah, because mostly because I think we well, both want them to be epic feeling. Actually, no. Well, I mean, like the sense of getting an idea of how we're going to approach it, not necessarily the stats of it. Yeah, I yeah I, yeah okay yeah. So I like I would outline yeah like with the Strahd one like yeah. I outlined what happened and when he ran and stuff. Yeah. 
I didn't look at stat source to be like, okay, do this at this point or like, this point. We did no math when it comes to that. Yeah. yeah. I, I just did it as like, I'm going to play the character when I'm there, but like, this is what the story progression has mm-hmm. him do. Um, yeah. Like I didn't, I didn't do a full prep on Strahd. I didn't do a full prep on the, the infight for tomb of annihilation uh, to the point that like I set it up and then ended the session. And then before the next one I went like, Oh crap, I didn't give four creatures in this room stats <laughs> and so i yeah. just had to quickly pick something out of the the monster manual yeah and it still was a really good fight and fucked them up yeah um but let's talk real quick about like what we both think we could add to it really with what hector was saying i really like the having it on the computer thing oh yeah and he said really <laughs> quick there about the the player notes yeah so he rewards his players for writing out a recap of their game and then posting it to the players that weren't there. Oh, wow. And I love that idea. Not a fucking chance in hell I will ever get my players to do that. I love you guys. No. I mean, like I already (laughs) mentioned, like I had like three people try for my group and it didn't work. (laughs) Um, But yeah, I the notebook for me right now is working really well because I can hand do it. But I think having somewhere that I could have it like bullet pointed out and stuff like that would work better. Oh, I should probably mention like when I'm doing an overarching story, like mm-hmm. this whole thing on Cholt. Yeah. When they went to Cholt, I sat down with about three sticky notes and went, this happened before they got there. This is happening yeah. as they got there. Uh, this villain wants this, this villain wants this. If this villain gets this, this happens. So I knew what was happening. And as far as, um, what you're talking about with NPCs and stuff, I kind of use my writer brain where like <laughs> when I'm writing a book and I have a character going, I know what they would and wouldn't say. Yeah. So I'm constantly thinking that when I have that NPC on screen, Yeah. I would, I actually have said, wait, no, they wouldn't say that. Let's back this up and then say it how they would. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I do kind of just use writer brain on that where it's like, I have these characters in my head. I don't have them written out. The NPC page is really there for the NPCs that I might need stats for eventually. Mm-hmm. But uh, but yeah, what, what what's something that you feel that you... Um, we kind of talked about it a little bit um, and Justice kind of brought it to the front when we had that episode with him mm-hmm. was foreshadowing. Mm-hmm. I want to do more foreshadowing and that would involve a little bit more planning in the long term of things yeah. for me uh, beyond just what are bad guy motivations. Um, and so... I've tried to incorporate that into the past like six or so sessions that I've had since that episode. And I feel like I've set it up right, but we'll find out when we get to the next, you know, like climax of what's going to happen. I feel like pre-writing out foreshadowing is really hard. What I will usually do is I'll write a note somewhere that's like foreshadow this if you can. I know that's what I mean. Like um, just having more of an idea beyond just the bad guy motivations and about the world beyond Mm -hmm. and the overall all reaction the world is having to the bad guys too so that mm. way i can foreshadow something well i can i'm almost trying to set myself up better as opposed to just throwing it out to the people or like just having the players do what they want mm. and then no formatting at all well, like <laughs> um like i said earlier that the that one character in two annihilation was possessed the whole time mm-hmm. um i w- kept leaving notes like try and foreshadow it try and foreshadow it, try for so like they were on a boat going through a river on Cholt and I had this Sioux monster staring at him. Yeah. And 
um, I kept having that thing show up, I would have no possible way to know where to put it because they were deciding how they were getting through Cholt. Yeah. So it just was when it, the opportunity presented itself, I described it happening. Okay. Um, but yeah, like for my prep, I think the thing that I could really benefit from is not just trusting my brain to remember things and actually writing stuff down in like maybe a Scrivener file or Obsidian portal or something like that so that I can have these things written down so that I can consult them maybe not during the game but while I'm prepping. Yeah. I mean 100% same here because I have quite a lot of loose leaf papers flying about in my little dm area mm-hmm. oh my God, I'm, one of these days i'm gonna just have to take a picture of behind the screen and show you guys yeah it's kind of ridiculous i've really narrowed it down now uh to this notebook thankfully so all the loose stuff is like contained yes but it used to be like let me gather my papers i used to <laughs> stick all of these sticky notes in the back of the book oh, and just keep them there and it was insane i don't know why mm-hmm. i did that and it definitely would benefit me to have like just everything in one place digitally. However, I'm in a point where it's like, I don't have like a tablet that would make it easy. My phone is being used for several things at the same time, like a calculator, music, mm-hmm. and also just pulling up PDFs of books <laughs> at the same time. So it's like using that also as a tracker for things wouldn't work. And my computer's really big. So I'd have to bring in like another side table. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's yeah so I, I have to figure that out personally that's a future alley situation because right yeah. now <laughs> instilling it onto a laptop after the game isn't working for me yeah. because i just it's not that, that i don't have the motivation it's just that uh, finding the time to do that and remembering exactly what happened all at the same time doesn't really work out mm-hmm. yeah i i think mostly just having an outline that I'm consulting and a character description thing for not my players, but for the NPCs and the villains and stuff would probably be really good. Kind of like how Hector is doing there with like the house houses and world building and stuff mm-hmm. like that. Oh, wow. That was, that was, that was it's a good talk about that. <laughs> I feel relieved. Yeah. I feel like both of us uh, had a little realization of mm-hmm. maybe we can do a little more. Yeah. But at the same time I think we're both comfortable with what we are doing. Yes. That is the and that's the thing. Like I'm comfortable with how this is going right now. It's working out, but I do feel like there's stuff that I can improve on. But I feel like I'm never going to get to that point where it's like a sure way to do it. I'm never gonna tell someone that I've got the method to yeah. prep. Um, I will say uh, none of this was exactly advice for how to prep. This is kind of like how we prep and it's worked for us because we do yeah. have a lot of experience DMing. Well, yeah, yeah. Like, like um, that was the thing like Chris Perkins in that video did not say do it like this. It's yeah. just how he does it. Yeah. Um, um, I will say if you're looking for like exact advice, uh, look for, I think it's called the Lazy DMs Guidebook. Oh, yeah, yeah. So it's like, it's actually really handy and so many people like it. Uh, look up Sly Flourish. I'll probably tweet it out too also yeah as hector said there i think we've talked about before the the five room dungeon look up that method it's really cool yeah um but if you have any of your own advice that you would like uh (laughs) on uh to do about prep or have any just want to submit that your style of prep like how hector did you can send those in to difficultyclass at gmail.com and we would love to talk about them on the show yeah definitely um very quickly uh we're uh do you want to do the the listener question or do we want to save that for another one let's go for it all right so uh our listener question comes from brian schmidt the uh guy who did the broadsheets thing for us and Mm -hmm. also the creator of the tome of delving which you guys should go take a look at it's a pretty cool little notebook that we might have a little more information about to come soon yeah uh but uh brian writes in and says do you use cutscenes as a dm 
uh, and do you like, I think there was another part in there is like uh, any, any tips yeah. on uh, uh, when and when not to use them um, I have yeah and I think they're okay sparingly yeah <laughs> you actually talked quite a bit about cutscenes there and a little bit in the, the prep thing but yeah. like do you do you ever cut scene a moment I actually don't ever really I, I only ever cut scene a moment when characters don't have control and I rarely mm-hmm. take away control like that mm-hmm. um, the one I did most recently was Valindra but that's because it was everyone was literally on the ground yeah it was a god moment of like you're up to see this and you have a chance to stop it and so that was like the time I threw in a cutscene was simply because the characters didn't have any control mm-hmm. because believe me your characters do have control. Yeah. And if they see something happening, someone will want to interrupt you and say, I'm doing this. Mm-hmm. Or while they're doing that, can I do this? And half the time they won't be listening to the cutscene and they'll just thinking about ways of how do I make myself advantageous to this particular scene itself? Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's the main reason why I've stopped throwing in cutscenes. I. I describe places yeah. like if they go into a room. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I lay it out. I well, use I, lavish language, but I let, don't describe a cutscene. <laughs> let's let's you know for people who may not know what a cutscene is. Like so, what we're referencing with the term is in a video game when uh, all of a sudden you no longer have control of your character yeah. and it's showing a video of what happens. You have no yeah. control in the situation. Uh, you know, you might hear the term quick time cutscenes where you have a button press that you can do to like try and do stuff with it. Yeah. But the main concept is is that you. You as a DM are taking over the scene and describing what happens for everyone. Now, like I said at the beginning of this, I think they're okay sparingly. Mm-hmm. And I'm talking maybe one every other campaign. Yeah. Do not make this a normal thing because play it doesn't feel good, uh, especially if you're doing it for the sake of quote unquote drama. Uh, to just take control away from your players. Mm-hmm. Um, now, the times that I have done it, um, I will first say, hey, cutscene. Like, I will tell people a cutscene is happening. And I will also say, hey, do you mind if I take control of your character real quick? Yeah. Um, when when Ike's character betrayed everyone in Curse of Strahd, the scene where it happened, I cutscened it and I said, Ike, do you mind if I take control of your character real quick? He goes, go ahead. And so I did the thing. Yeah. Oh, um, heart-wrenching. Oh, yeah. Um, but... <laughs> It's it, it is a very okay, it's a very delicate thing to do because it is a form of railroading your players. It is, yeah. And you don't want to railroad your players. You want your players to have options and stuff. However, if there is something that is just like this, if this doesn't happen, the rest of the story can't happen. One, try not to have those moments. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but if you do. Just make it very clear to your players, like, hey, this is a cutscene. This is what has to happen to do that. Just, again, talk to your yeah. table. Because, I mean, in the end, it is a, one, it's a game. Mm-hmm. And two, you're telling a story. Yeah. So if this is part of what needs to happen for the said story, just make sure everyone's involved in that because they're all helping yeah. write this story. Yeah. So it, it's... Also, definitely... um, you really should, even if you're doing the cutscene, your players should have complete veto power over what happens in concerning what their character is doing yeah um so yeah as you can see this is a very delicate thing but i do think that they're okay very rarely yeah uh, just try to avoid um because i know we're all inclined because we've seen movies and stuff is to do like villain dialogues mm-hmm. um try to avoid doing those outside of combat yeah 
throw them inside of combat. Fun fact, uh, I guarantee your table's full of the people who in a theater are going, why don't you just shoot him while he's talking? Yeah. <laughs> like, if they have something important they want to tell the characters, have it while they're face-to-face holding swords against each yes. other and n- snarling into their face like, I'm going to murder you. Yeah. And it's like, say why? Yeah, don't don't <laughs> monologue a cutscene because... Yeah. And, and if your player's like, oh, I'm going to cast this, and you just go, oh, well, no, that's not what happens right now. That's not... They're how this game works. They're casting and it's happening. Yeah. I mean, like, a, a quick example. I think I've mentioned it before about a, a cutscene gone wrong. We were playing Fate, and uh, Marcos was DMing, and I was playing it, and we were playing with a few other people, too. And so we were going through, we, found, we were going through, like, this dungeon thing, and we're humans from San Diego. We It, it was a Dresden Files kind yeah. of game. This is, like, our first introduction into it. I have, like, this necklace, and... Marcos is like, oh, Allie, this is going to be like your backstory. Like, this is what's going to tell you, like, and inform you and stuff. I'm like, oh, cool, cool. Mm-hmm. And so it's like, yeah, it's going to be in the session. So we get into like this point where one of the characters, he's like a, he's a gunman. He mm-hmm. has like three guns on him at any one point in time. He has like a rifle, three pistols and all that good stuff. And so we're like sneaking. And all of a sudden we see like this goblin talking to like this crazy monster. And we're like, what's happening? I think it was like a lion mm-hmm. mixed with something else. And and Marcus is describing and he's like straight up doing dialogue and the two goblin and the goblins talking to him and it's they said my name and all of a sudden Robert says I'm gonna shoot the goblin <laughs> and Marcus is like what <laughs> it's like I'm gonna shoot him and Marcus just kind of sits there and thinks about it and he's like okay um roll and of course Robert 100% makes yeah. it and Marcus like scratches his head and he says Allie I don't know how to um put out your backstory right now we're gonna have to do with that later uh yeah you kill the goblin his head explodes um <laughs> yeah that, that's uh, and so like doing cutscenes with that is like and you know if you're really trying to do it and you tell your player like oh no you can't shoot right now like that's like why wouldn't he yeah and so yeah in those situations like remember that your players have full control over yeah. what they're doing and really always should mm-hmm. but sometimes you know be like hey do you mind if i take control of your character real quick yeah and you do something that has to happen for the story it's okay just don't do it all the time yeah. like i did it in strahd i haven't done it since mm-hmm. i haven't done a cutscene since then and that was like two years ago yeah I, that's basically a good rule of thumb if you're at a point where your characters are okay with losing control for a moment or if like you're at the very beginning and you're describing them walking into the city mm-hmm. or walking into the tavern to see everybody it's like that's a cutscene moment to introduce the the entire campaign sure yeah. but it's like if there's a specific time where everyone's okay with losing control for a moment or there's a particular time where everyone doesn't have control or like everyone's on the ground yeah that, totally cut scene that's that, yeah. that's a total fine way yeah. to cut scene things but yeah. aside oh, from no, that i lied I, I totally did that with uh with the uh adventure uh, series that didn't go up when they all went down i had a cut scene happen. oh yeah so yeah i did do that yeah no certainly so, yeah. like that great perfect where it's like where everyone already doesn't have control over their characters that's a time you can do it yeah but aside from that i would not <laughs> Um, well, if you have any thoughts or opinions about uh, cutscenes and whatnot, if you're just screaming at your phone right now saying, how dare you ever do that, you can send that in. Send, send us that oh stuff. We'd or love if to you hear. ever have any stories similar to mine where yeah. cutscenes went terribly, terribly wrong, I want to hear those. I want to hear them. Uh, you can send those <laughs> into difficultyclass at gmail.com and we might talk about them on the show. Mm-hmm. 
Well, that was our show for this week. If you enjoyed this podcast and want to support it, the best way to do that is by leaving a review on your service of choice, as well as telling your friends about the show. If you'd like your questions, advice, or stories read on the show, send them into difficultyclass at gmail.com. If you'd like to stay up to date on the show, you can follow us on Twitter at difficultyclass and on Instagram at difficultypodcast. So until next week, don't get killed by what your character would do. Thank you.